consciousness ensues from goodwill for the genuine welfare and happiness of others, as opposed to viewing the world at large as a gain-seeking transaction. It used to take thousands of years for humankind to develop, but millenniums became centuries, and centuries are becoming decades. This gives us hope. We are the universe, and the nebula, and the galaxy, and the solar system, and the planet, and the being, and the atom, all one. So we can transcend all these positionalities, and that is Homo Spiritus, which we call a being with an advanced or full spiritual awareness. This is the evolution of consciousness from the earliest forms of man. The Cro-Magnon. The Neanderthal. Homo erectus. And eventually, Homo sapiens. Which, due to the emergence of a frontal cortex, literally translates as man the wise. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Well. We're so happy that you are with us this morning. As you can tell by the introduction video, we are in the middle of a series called When Science and God Collide. When Science and God Collide. We've all grown up and we hear in the media and in public, in public education, we hear like this div division, this dichotomy that exists between God and science that we never, we're always approached as two separate things that really never go together. We hear all these things about God from reading the Bible and we learn so much and we say, yeah, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we, we take it as is. Then all of a sudden science comes and says, that's bogus, that makes no sense. We have it all figured out and they, and they lay everything out in front of us. And then we start questioning things and we say, you know what? That makes more sense than in the beginning. Because that I understand, my intellect understands that. So I'm really confused. So we're given this division, this dichotomy between God and science. So today is we're gonna discuss how they collide. The reality is between God and science that they're more alike than what we think. That there is a lot more similarity and a lot more overlap between science and God than what we think. In the first week of this series, we talked about the Big Bang Theory of how there was just this ball of huge amounts of, of gas and energy at some point in time, billions of years ago, that exploded and created everything that we know today. Well, we know that definitely fits with the first three letters of the first page of the Bible. The first, first three words of the first page of the Bible in the beginning. Yeah, sure, that, that, they can go together. I mean, for crying out loud, it was a Catholic priest that was the first one to put together the Big Bang Theory. So, of course, we agree with that. Last week, we talked about the environment, how man was given a homework assignment by God, saying that you are in charge of honoring, you are in charge of cherishing, you are in charge of protecting the environment. This is my assignment to give to you. So we are the mediator between God and all of creation. Today's topic. Today's topic is the number one reason why people lose their faith in God. 
It is the number one reason when students enter college and they enter, or even high school, and they enter that first biology class and they're exposed to this subject, this is the number one reason why people walk away from church, walk away from God, because now something that makes sense to them that they never really thought about, and that is evolution. That is evolution. Let me tell you about myself. I grew up, you know, read the Bible, my parents went to Sunday school. I was a good boy, and I loved all these stories. You know, seven days, God created everything, and he rested on the seventh day. Then there was a lot of animals. There was baby animals. There was large animals. They all went into this big ark, and, every, and there was a flood, but everyone got saved, and there was a nice, cute little rainbow. Perfect story. Amazing. Then one day, I went to, I grew up. And I, uh, one day I did grow up, yeah. <laughs> in biology class, and, and we started learning a lot of stuff about science. And I loved science. And the best thing I loved, I loved about elementary school. You know it was going to be an amazing day in elementary school when there was something specific that rolled into a classroom. There was one thing that, when, once that rolled into, into, into the classroom, I know that this is going to be an amazing day in fourth grade. And that thing is this. You know you're a 90s kid when you just get excited when you see this picture. Okay. Once that teacher rolls that thing in the middle of the classroom, it's time to chill, relax, lights go off. And then the best five words given in any classroom is what? Bill Nye the science guy. Bill and I, the science guy, the greatest, greatest show of all times. I loved Bill. I loved Bill, and I learned so much from Bill. But I started getting a little bit confused. All of a sudden, Bill is saying that, that frogs came from fish and that I came from apes. And I started getting a little bit confused. It's like, wait a minute. In Sunday school, I just learned about something completely different. And the, the Bible that, that I like to read is telling, is telling me, I don't see anything about evolution. I don't see anything about fish coming from, from the water, I mean, uh, frogs coming from fish, or that I'm, I'm from apes. I'm really confused. So now I have creation, and I have evolution. And which one am I supposed to believe? Where do I believe in? Do I believe in creation? Do I just take the Bible for granted? Or do I believe this evolution, what Bill Nye is saying and all these scientists are saying? It, it makes sense to me. I mean, it makes logical sense how evolution, how everything evolved. So which one do I believe? Do I believe my logic or do I believe what the Bible is saying or what God is saying? Before I answer that question, let's get our terms straight. Is, instead of me saying creation, creation, and evolution, and we, I'm just assuming that we all know what we're talking about, let's define what these terms mean. So creationism. Let's talk about mainstream creationism. As you can see from your handout or from the app, the, the literal definition of creationism or mainstream creationism is, is, a basic, is, is a belief based on a literal interpretation of the Bible. It is the religious belief that the universe and life originated from specific acts of divine creation. 
In other words, so, th so creationism is, the, is, is, is approached from a, little, a literal interpretation of the first book of the Bible. That God said, day one, boom. Day two, boom. Day three, I'm going to make this. Day four, and every day, God did something on a 24-hour day that he created everything that we see. Nothing evolved, nothing happened, that everything that we see existed. He did this on day one, he did this on day two. He had a nine-to-five work day, and this is what he did on day one, day two, day three. And everything was created. He did such a good job in six days that he decided to chill on the seventh day. This is the mainstream interpretation of the concept of creationism. There's a lot of subsects of, of creationism, but I'm talking about what is the mainstream approach to creationism that exists. So that is the literal interpretation or definition of creationism. Evolution. Evolution. Here's the official definition of evolution. Evolution is a change in the heritable traits of biological populations over successive generations. Evolutionary processes give rise to biodiversity at every level of biological organization, including the level of species, individual organisms, and molecules. So basically what mainstream evolution is saying that at some point in time, there was one specific organism that existed billions of years ago. And through genetic mutations, through in, in effects of the environment, and through many different other factors, that there created a diverse amount of species and animals and life that exists today. But it all originated from one specific point, as you can see from the diagram. There was that one specific point that there was that one organism and that brought forth many other types of, of animals and plants and creation that exist from that central source. Scientists gave a nice, cute name for that first little organism that ever existed billions of years ago. And that little organism is called LUSA. LUSA is an, is, is an acronym standing for the last universal common ancestor. And as, as most recent as last month, you can Google this article. Last month, in July 2016, geneticists have found that in this original organism called LUSA, that there is a set of genes that exists in every single living creature that exists today. That they have marked that there's 355 genes that exist in LUSA that exist in you and me and bananas and apes and monkeys and gorillas, that there is a set of 355 genes that exist in all of creation. So that's their proving that life began from this one single organism called LUSA billions of years ago. This is what science is telling us. There's a name that probably many of you guys have heard in school of a very famous person that really pushed evolution. And he goes by the name Charles Darwin. He's a very famous scientist that has dedicated so much of his life to figure out how did things evolve? How did we have so much diversity in creation? So he was doing his science uh, in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He was born Christian, 
But as he furthered his research in science, he started to question a lot of things. And he didn't understand. He, he saw how things evolved, and he could not match that with his faith. I'll read one quote by Charles Darwin that's also on your handout in your app. This is from Charles Darwin in the 1900s, in the early 1900s. Therefore, I should infer from analogy that probably all the organic beings that have ever lived on this earth have descended from some one primordial form into which life was first breathed. That's a fancy way of saying, that's, that's a fancy way of him saying that everything that, I'm, that I have researched, everything that I have journaled, everything that I've seen my entire life, it only makes sense that it all came from one, one primordial form, from one organism that everything has come from. This is what he said in, in the 1900s, in the early 1900s. And now this is confirmed by an article that was just released last month of geneticists showing LUSA, or the last universal common ancestor. Well, now you know what evolution is. Now you know what creation is. What if I told you Orthodox Christians believe in creation and evolution? If you're not a 90s kid, you're not going to get this meme. But, uh, but once we're done today, go, go download the movie The Matrix. You'll understand this meme. What if I told you that Orthodox Christians believe in creation and evolution? The reason why I'm putting Orthodox Christians, because there's a lot of different Orthodox churches that, that approach creation from a little perspective and don't accept anything else. And there's some, there's some Christian churches that only accept evolution. So I'm, I'm, I'm specifically talking about what is Orthodox Christians believe? What has Christianity believed from the very first century after Christ ascended, what did Christians believe from that point about where did life begin? Did they believe creation? Did they believe evolution? Well, they believe in both. So, what do we believe in? We believe in theistic evolution. Theistic evolution. Theo, the first word, is a Greek word meaning God. And evolution is what we just talked about. So what we're going to talk about now is that we believe in theistic evolution. That we believe in evolution, but we believe that the origin has, is coming from a higher being or from God himself. But we have to kind of break down what does theistic evolution mean? Do we believe 100% creation and 100% evolution? Aren't there some differences? What exactly, where do they overlap and where do they do not overlap? And I'm going to we're all scientists here, so you have to approach, I'm going to try to convince you if this is true or not, and see if they really do overlap and what parts overlap and what parts don't. So your first fill in the blank. We believe in natural selection. We believe in natural selection. I'm sure many of you have heard of the word natural selection. And it's something that Charles Darwin and many scientists have actually practiced out and investigated that what has created so much diversity and what has cr created so many species to survive is by a process called natural selection. Here's the technical definition of natural selection. It's the survival and reproduction of a species due to specific traits. It is the survival and reproduction of a species due to specific traits. 
This means that there's going to be certain traits, some genetic codes within any, within any living being that is going to survive more than other genetic traits. Let me even make this even simpler. This little cartoon here of some giraffes. You see on the left, you see some tall giraffes, and you see some little giraffes. Well, the little giraffe has a certain gene or genetic code that is being expressed that makes that giraffe shorter. And then there's taller giraffes that have another genetic code that is dominant, that is being expressed, that allows that giraffe to be taller. Natural selection is saying that over time, that there's going to be certain genetic codes that are going to live or go further than other genetic codes. So the genetic code that went further in this case, as you can see our little short little giraffe didn't make it, he died out. Because, I know it's sad, but you know, c'est la vie. The short little giraffe died because he has a genetic code that made him shorter, which is he did not, that did not allow him to reach the tree to get to the leaves. So naturally, the giraffes that have taller necks and have that specific gene for taller necks are going to make it further. And that's the gene that's going to survive further along. So we do believe in natural selection, which is something that has existed, that's a, a scientific approach that has existed for, for thousands of years and, kinda, and went mainstream by Charles Darwin. So we do believe in natural selection and theistic evolution. What we do not believe in is molecule-to-man evolution. We do not believe in molecule-to-man evolution. What many scientists have said is that all of creation came from that original organism, given the acronym LUSA. Everything has come from LUSA. We do not believe and molecule to man evolution. And we'll kind of talk later on, near the end, of why human being is not part of that process. We believe in evolution, but we do not believe in molecule to man evolution. Because you and me are in a completely different category altogether than the rest, or rest of creation. Some of you guys might be thinking right now, this is a cop-out, that you're saying that we believe in evolution, but the parts that really don't make sense, we just throw in the word God in. So we're just using the word theistic evolution. That any parts that are gray and that, we don't, that science doesn't understand, oh, it's God, it's God. That we just kind of use it as a cop-out. If you think that, let me read a couple of quotes from our friend Charles Darwin. Something that he said, uh, in his research, in his journal in the 1900s. The mystery of the beginning of all things is insoluble by us, and I, for one, must be content to remain an agnostic. What is he saying? The mystery of how everything began is not something I'm able to solve. I can solve evolution. I can, I can solve how things evolved. I can solve how the short giraffe did not make it and the tall giraffe did. I understand all of that. I committed my whole life to understanding all that. 
But the mystery of the beginning of life is insoluble to me. I can't comprehend it. Since I can't fit it in this little brain of mine, I'm agnostic. I don't believe there is a God, and I don't believe there isn't a God. I don't, I don't have enough scientific concrete evidence of there being a higher being. So I'm agnostic. In another journal he wrote, years later in his research, he wrote this. It is easy to specify the individual objects of admiration in these grand scenes. It's easy for me to look at all of creation and look at all the plants and flowers and animals and to be admired by it. But it is not possible to give an adequate idea of the higher feelings of wonder, astonishment, and devotion which fill and elevate the mind. What is he saying here? It's easy for me to admire all these things, but there's a higher feeling that I have that gives me wonder, that gives me astonishment, that gives me devotion, which fill and elevate my mind. There's something that I see in these grand scenes of all of creation that is giving me wonder, astonishment, and devotion. And these higher feelings that I'm having, I'm not able to, to understand or put a name on it. I cannot comprehend it. I know I have these higher feelings, something that's elevating above my mind. There's something that's elevating above my scientific research that I can't really put my finger on. What is that? This is Charles Darwin, which most people see as, as the pioneer of evolution. This is him being tormented by being so confused of his own research. There's another group of you guys out here saying, what on earth are you saying? <laughs> I grew up learning that the B-I-B-L-E, now that's the book for me, and I never question anything in the Bible. <laughs> okay, I got one fan there. So. But let me tell you something about the Bible. The Bible is not a history book. It is not a science book. It is not a math book. It is a type of book that it's in its own category altogether. Since it is in a different category altogether, which I'll explain, then I have to approach it differently. I can't approach it at the same level as the journals of Charles Darwin. I can't approach it to the levels of scientists explaining evolution. I cannot put it at the same level. The Bible is put on a completely different category altogether. So for, in order for me to approach the Bible or me to approach scripture, I have to approach it in a different way. The fancy word for that is analogically, that I have to approach scripture analogically. What does that big word mean? I have to approach scripture analogically. What's the root word of the word analogically? Analog. What does the word analog mean? You hear digital analog, so what is analog? Analog is the transfer of information or meaning from one particular source to a target. So an analog is a transfer of information from a source to a target. Okay, if that's the word, what, that's, that's analog. How do, how do I approach text? How do I approach the word of God analogically. 
How do I approach that analogically? You see on the left an icon of Adam and Eve at, in the Garden of Eden. And the story behind this icon or this picture is that in the very beginning, God made everything so perfect and immaculate for all of creation and for Adam and Eve. And he told Adam, I'm, you, everything is yours, everything is yours, but just one little simple rule you need to follow. Do not eat from this, this, from this tree of knowledge. Do not eat, everything else is yours. We're gonna be best friends, everything's gonna be perfect. But just, just listen to my one simple rule. But you're a big boy, I'm not gonna hold your hand and force you to, 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 uh, to obey this law. It's up to you if you wanna listen or not, but I'm telling you, if you want life, you're gonna listen to what I'm saying. If you don't want life, then that, that's up to you to deal with the consequences if you decide to go against that. Well, we all know that Adam made a boo-boo. He made a mistake. He decided to disobey the only simple rule that it was given. From that moment, God was on a mission to save man and to correct the mistake that he made. And we're still in that process of God healing us, it, continuing to heal us, to, to restore us back to what life was like before Adam made a mistake. So what am I saying all this for? When I read this story in the first few pages of the Bible, I'm not gonna approach it historically. I'm not gonna approach it scientifically, but I'm gonna approach it analogically. What does that mean? That I'm transferring information from the source to the target. So if I'm approaching this story analogically, that the source of the story is what I just said. What is it pointing to? What is the story pointing to? is man thinking that he is the man. That this story is pointing to man thinking that he knows better than the creator of heaven and earth. This is how I interpret or I approach this story analogically. I'm not gonna sit there and say, well, did Adam eat from an from a apple tree or, or a plum tree? Or uh, where is the Garden of Eden? What, what exactly, what's, what's the longitude and latitude of, of, the, of where the Garden of Eden is? That, that's fine, I'm saying some people Seek God by approaching it that way, that's fine. But that can't be my central approach to approaching the Bible. That I have to approach it analogically. I have to approach what, what does the story mean to me? What is there to, 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 to give me? So the Bible as a whole, I approach it analogically. Because from the first page to the, end, to the last page of the Bible, it is about the relationship between God and man. That's the central theme of the Bible, the relationship between God and man. Within those pages, I find the remedy for my healing. Within the Bible, within every page, is the remedy for my sickness. If I approach it, and through the lens that it was created to be approached, it was approached, it was written, divinely inspired for, for me to approach it analogically for me to t look at the source and realize what is it pointing me toward? What lens should I be looking at the story with? Just in case you think I'm making this up, there was a very famous bishop in the fourth century of Christianity. I'm not making this up. He said, you are a fool if you take the Bible literally. He says, you are a fool if you think that God created something in 24 hours and the next day he created something else in another 24 hours, you're a fool if you're approaching the first six days of creation, literally. That's uh, not me. 
This is from a bishop. And he makes a good point that I never had thought about. The bishop is saying, how do we, how do we look at, how do we make, what's a day? It depends on, uh, on the sun, right? Daylight and nighttime. That's for us, that's how we calculate what a day is. That occurred on what day of creation? On the third day of creation. So how was the first two days of creation described? If there was no day or night, how was it, how was it described? How, do we, how can we... Um, how can we calculate? So he brings a good point. So I have to approach scripture analogically. I have to approach it with the right lens in order to, in order to find healing for myself. And it's a different book. It's not a history book. It's not a science book. It's a completely different category all by itself. So now you know the lens of how we look at the Bible. Now you know through what lens I'm supposed to look at the Bible. But how exactly do I look at creation, evolution now, once I have those lens of seeing the Bible? So we're going to look at two pillars of theistic evolution. In order to understand theistic evolution, we have to understand these two pillars. The first pillar, the uncreated creator created creation. Say that ten times fast. The uncreated creator created creation. That's a very cute way of saying this. The uncreated creator, what is that? That there was a creator that exists outside of time, that exists outside of space, that exists above my comprehension, that exists beyond uh, Lusa, what we talked about, that exists beyond everything. The, the creator came out of non-existence. God came out of non-existence. The uncreated creator created creation. Where am I getting this from? If you look at the very first page of the Bible, again, we read in the 20th verse, Then God said, Let the waters bring forth creatures having life. Let the waters bring forth creatures having life. You know what's another way of saying that verse? That's God saying, let evolution begin. That's God saying, let creatures coming from the water begin to give life. Let the process of evolution begin. Let the process of diversity begin. Let the process of thousands and thousands of animals and plants, let all of that begin because they're all going to come from the waters. That God began and he sparked the process of evolution. Don't take my word for it. Let me read an, an, an article. An, sorry, not an article. Let me read a passage from someone's journal. I'm not going to tell you the name of, of the person, but you tell me. Do you think this is from Charles Darwin or you think this is from a bishop, a Christian bishop? Let the earth bring forth the living creature. This, this, so this journalist is, is meditating on this verse. Okay, keep in mind, Charles Darwin was born Christian, and obviously the bishop is Christian, so it could be either one. Let the earth bring forth the living creature. Now they're going to expand on this verse that we just read. This command has continued, and earth does not cease to obey the creator. For if there are creatures which are successfully produced by their predecessors... 
There are others that even today we see born from the earth itself. That's another way of saying evolution. Let me read that last verse again. For if there are creatures which are successfully produced by their predecessors, there are others that even today we see born from the earth itself. He's saying there's some creatures that we see that came from other predecessors and, that's, and some that are, the, that are the original that still exist today. There's some that have evolved and some have not, but we see a, a diversity of different creatures. In wet weather, she brings, she is talking about Mother Nature. In wet weather, Mother Nature brings forth grasshoppers and an immense number of insects which fly in the air and have no names because they are so small. She also produces mice and frogs. It is the earth alone which gives them birth. Let the earth produce a living creature. Raise your hand if you think this is from the journals of Charles Darwin. Nobody thinks it's from Charles Darwin? Okay, we got one person. Or we got a few. Who thinks this is from the journal of a, of a Christian bishop? Okay, it's more. Very good. So this is from a, a bishop from the 4th century by the name of Sam Basil. And he wrote a book on the six days of creation. He wrote a book on the six days of creation. If you understood it the same way I did, St. Basil is saying, I believe in evolution. This is from the fourth century. They're saying there are, some, there, there are some animals that we see that have predecessors, that some came from water. I see some flies that came out of nowhere, but I know I see some of them that have evolved. This is St. Basil doing scientific research in the fourth century and, write, and him writing down what he is seeing with his own two eyes. So forget Charles Darwin. There's an original scientist that, that discovered evolution way before him. The second pillar of theistic evolution, seek the intelligent designer in the universe. Seek the intelligent designer in the universe. The term intelligent designer is a recent term developed by many scientists that as their research continues and, and learning more about creation and learning about evolution, that they come to a central point where they say, you know what, there is a higher being. That there is a higher being that implanted his fingerprint in all of creation. There is a common thread between everything that I have researched. And they give that higher being the name, the intelligent designer. The intelligent designer. One of the scientists, which I, I love what he wrote here, he says, the first gulp of water from the glass of natural science will make you an atheist, but, but at the bottom of that glass, you will find God. I love that. That so many scientists, as they continue to grow deeper and deeper in their research, that everything they have studied, all their evidence is pointing to their being an intelligent designer, the higher being, which is God. I'll read a couple of quotes from some, from some popular scientists. Isaac Newton said this, This most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Stephen Hawking, a more modern-day scientist, 
This is what he said. Look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. Be curious. Stephen Hawking is saying, look around you, that you can see the fingerprint of the intelligent designer, that you can see glimpses of God our Father by looking at creation. All, all the, the beauty of everything that we see, I can look at it and see my heavenly Father in all of creation. There's a question that I'm sure is in the back of a lot of our minds, which is, did we come from apes? We see this picture a lot. Like on, on different things, we see this picture. And it makes so much sense to us. It makes sense. It looks like that's a natural process that occurs from monkey to man. But where does this fit into everything we just talked about? And where does that fit into to the, to the account of Genesis. How does this fit? Well, before I answer that question, we have to look at what's the history of this, of this picture that we've seen in so many textbooks. I grew up always seeing this picture. This always confused me. What's the history behind this picture? Many scientists admit that this picture has a lot of inconsistencies and voids, but many graphic designers put this picture together on the basis of two perspectives on a skeletal perspective and a genetic perspective. They put this together on a skeletal perspective, that they looked at the skeletons of a lot of other animals, of, of, of apes and monkeys and all these different uh, gorillas, and they saw a very close similarity to the skeleton of you and me. So they said, oh, okay, this probably makes sense. We probably came from apes. So that's one basis that drove this, this picture. The second basis is a genetic component. Many geneticists have recently realized that we are 98% the same, genetically the same, compared to an ape. Your genetic makeup right now is 98% similar to an ape. Now, you, I mean, 98%, that's, that's pretty amazing. You have to say that we came from apes. You can't question that, okay? Between a mouse and you, you are 50% the same. Okay, forget mouse, forget any animals. You and a banana. I'm sorry, the mouse, I'm sorry, the mouse and the human is 80%, forgive me. The mouse and the human is 80%. A banana and you, you're 50% identical genetically to a banana. Don't you feel special? You are 50%, the genetic code of who you are is 50% the same as a banana. Do you believe that you are just skin and bones? Do you believe that you are just uh, DNA? Do you believe that you just have similar skeletal makeup as, as an ape? The reason why you are here proves otherwise. The reason what made you wake up this morning and come here proves the exact opposite of that proves that you are seeking something more. And you know what? That's, you know what's inside of you that's making you get up this morning, that made you get up this morning, and it's making you question, and it has made you have these questions before today? 
your spirit. Your spirit inside of, of you have allowed you to ask these questions. And every single human being has that spirit. If they want to admit it or not, every single person is curious. Where did I come from? Did I come from apes? How many galaxies are there in the universe? How does a, how does a star burst? What, what makes the sun keep on going? What is the purpose of life? Every single human being has these questions. If they express it or not, that's a different thing. But every single human being is seeking the intelligent designer. I'll tell you a question that I had recently that has come to my spirit that I'm seeking the answer for to this day. Earlier this year, my wife and I decided that, or we felt from God that I think it's time for us to start having, or try, start, to try, start having kids. <laughs> Sorry. So. We decided we want some babies. So we did our thing. She peed on some sticks. And the stick said, I, I can't remember, two lines, one line. I don't remember which is which. But we said, you know what? Forget these sticks that you're urinating on. Let's go to the hospital. We go to the hospital. The nurse takes this ultrasound device, puts it on my wife's belly. And this is what comes up. This is a literal picture of my child. We don't know yet if it's a, if a boy or a girl. But there is a living being inside my wife right now. I understand the science of how a human being is created. I know sperm and an egg, and I understand all that good stuff. But something I know more than that, that this child of mine was beautifully and intricately made by my Heavenly Father. That this being is above what science tells me. Science is true, but I know something deeper inside that my spirit is telling me, that there's something more than this just being many cells. That I know this is a precious child of God. So I started looking at my child, and after realizing that I'm going to be a dad, I started to ask the question, how did the heartbeat of this child begin? Like we hear this throbbing sound of, of the heartbeat, but how did it actually begin? Did, did, did my wife get struck by lightning? Was, did she cough and all of a sudden the heartbeat started for the baby? So I started to do some research of how does a heartbeat begin in a human being? What starts, what sparks that initial pulse, that initial heartbeat that lasts into the last breath of this child? What is that? So I did some research, and I found an article by the NIH, National Institute of Health, and this is what they had to say. The initial beating of the heart is an intrinsic property of the cardiac myocytes Exactly what causes the heart to begin contracting is essentially a cell biological process. So, everyone understands what he's saying, right? He's saying, we have no idea. 
August 2016, science has no idea what causes the first heartbeat of a child. But does that make me question? I, there, there's no child inside my wife's womb. Does that make me question that? No, because I know that my spirit is telling me that this is a precious child that was intricately woven and put together by my heavenly father. King David says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The, deep inside, the deepest part inside of each one of us, we all know that. There's something inside of our spirit that says that there is a higher being. There is a God that loves me so much that created me. Science is great. Science can help me. I can put that together with my faith. But deep inside my gut, inside my spirit, I know that my Heavenly Father loves me and created me. That last part of your handout, you see the summary of that. We are the crown of creation, designed to seek the intelligent designer. That we are the crown. We are above all of creation. We are above any ape, monkey, giraffe, anything ever created. We're in a completely different category. Because God said, you are my precious child, and you are designed to be a replica of everything that I am. And you are my precious child, perfectly created in the image and likeness of all that I am, as me being the creator of heaven and earth. You know what's the best part? You know what's the best part of seeking the intelligent designer, of seeking our heavenly father? That he made himself so personable and so tangible and so real to the point that he came on earth by the name of Jesus. And by having that experience with his son, with Jesus Christ, that I'm able to experience and seek more of who my heavenly father is. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, sometimes we're speechless when we look at, at the mysteries of this world and all of creation and the diversity and the beauty that we see. Help us to not just take it for granted, but as we look at it, that we are able to have a glimpse of who you are and the beauty and the majesty of who you are. Help us to open our eyes to not just accept science for what it is, but allow it to fuel us to bring us closer to you. Lord, we thank you for, for all the science that exists and, and how it's helped us to see more of you, but never let it be a hindrance and let, not let our thought process just end on our intellect, but let it, let it arise above our mind that brings us closer and closer to you each and every day. We pray this in your name, your name that created heaven and earth, that is the intelligent desire, that is the higher being, that is our heavenly Father. Hear us, O Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.